My name is Jason Rosario, and I invite you to join me in open and vulnerable conversations about what's on the heart and minds of men. This is Hey Jason. y'all this is jason and welcome back to hey jason the podcast my guest today is joelle l daniels he's a writer an author a performer and a storyteller and like me hails from the bronx new york his work has been featured in the columbia journal the boston globe cnn money fatherly.com amongst many other publications and he has spoken and performed at some of the most iconic places in New York City including the Apollo Theater, Joe's Pub, Columbia University, NYU, Brooklyn Bowl, etc. This guy is an amazing individual. He's a father of a two-year-old young lady named Lila and we're going to get right into the conversation. Joel, <laughs> Joel Daniels, man, it's been so long that we've been connected by mutual friends. And for those that don't know or haven't seen Dear Men, this is the same Joel that opens the show every episode, man. So, uh, so he is acclaimed and he is of note. But Joel, man, thanks for being here. We've been connected for a while, like I said, and we haven't had a chance to really formally sit down the way we're going to sit down today, and I wouldn't have it any other way in terms of having the conversation that we, like you said, normally would have whether the mics were here or not. Uh, so I'm excited about it. And you you wear many hats, which we'll get into, uh, but I want to start by giving the audience a little bit of a sense of who you are and where you've been. So if you can tell me, this is going to sound a little bit awkward, but tell me about your earliest childhood memory. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to give you the earliest, but I will give you like the one that I normally point out when I'm, when I'm talking about like growing up in a Caribbean household with a Caribbean mother. So I couldn't cross the street um, by myself until fifth grade. My mom wouldn't let me do it because uh, my brother had gotten into a car accident um, when I was young, like when he was younger, I think before I was born. And so my mom was just like really like vigilant about that. I lost my girlfriend in elementary school because of that. So, um, I will change the names to protect the innocent. Uh, but let's just say uh, Jasmine um, lived across the street from me, and she was like my on and off girlfriend at elementary school. And then she had this friend who was just like really like she she was just like always like yapping at the mouth kind of. And she was like cross they were like egging me to cross the street, and I'm like I can't cross the street. A like my my mom's window was right here, so if I go across the street, she pops out, and she sees me. I'm dead. dead, you know? And so, like, they kept going, like, come on, cross the street, cross the street. My, fr- my friends on my on my side of the block were kind of egging me on. Like, oh, you can't cross the street, bro, whatever, whatever. So I was just like, yo, I can't do it. And then a homegirl gave me, like, the the, the hand crossing oh, the throat, like, it's dead. It's over. it's over, it's over, it's um, over. So then I just, like, I, I I was like, fuck y'all. Like, literally, that's, <laughs> that's what I said in fourth grade. And then I grabbed my crotch, and then, uh, <laughs> and then I ran upstairs and I cried. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, hour. that's I would cry too, brother. <laughs> yeah, because so. it's like your whole life, fla- your whole social currency, yeah, flashes before your eyes. Yeah, You're just like, yo, man. I can't cross this. <laughs> yeah, like this mad stuff I'm missing out on. <laughs> you know, that was that dissolved that relationship, man. Yeah. you know, shout out to um, Jasmine. There you go. 
But but let's talk about your mom and and how you were raised. Did you, were you raised by a single mom? Yes. Yeah. So same here. Yeah. yeah. Tell me about that experience. What that what was that like for you? Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting because um, it's something I even grapple with myself when we talk about like a single like a single parent. You know, like I think um, my my daughter's mother and I we co-parent. I mean, beautifully well, I think, especially at this juncture in time. And it wasn't always easy. But, like, with my mom, my father was kind of in and out. My father um, father was a Vietnam veteran, decorated Vietnam veteran, um, but also suffered from paranoia, well, still suffers from paranoid schizophrenia, um, alcohol dependency, um, opioid um, dependency. Um, and so part of, like, my mom's work was raising three black boys, um, in the Bronx, you know, by herself, really. Um, and, you know, when, when I talk about my mom, but my mom did something really interesting, which I think is kind of not, like, if you grew up in a Caribbean household, like, work ethic is really important, generally, and it's normally not uh, guided, they're not guiding you toward the arts. Like, that's not a thing. It's like, we want a career that's going to be stable, quote-unquote. Yeah, so you're like, either a lawyer, doctor, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like if you come from the from like anywhere in that um, diaspora, like that's essentially what's what it boils yeah. down to. My mom was kind of like follow your dreams. My mom's always been the follow your dreams, like reach for the moon. At least you'd be amongst the stars. Like she'll write that in almost every birthday card that I get. Still, um, and so my mom just gave me room. She gave me room to kind of create. She helped me with homework. She switched her shift at Jacoby Hospital from the day to the night shift so that she would be able to help me with my homework when I came home from school. Like my mom is embodies like sacrifice I think even though she never really view, viewed it as such like if you ask her what she sacrificed and she'll say nothing that's what I had to do yeah you know and that's kind of what it boiled down to for her yeah. for sure so tell me about not growing up with your dad I'm assuming that because of his troubles he wasn't yeah. around consistently Correct. so tell me about where did you learn or where did you pick up the cues about what it meant to be a man or what examples did you have mm -hmm. that you could model as you grew into adolescence, adulthood, or young adulthood, and then yeah. adulthood about what what it meant to be a man? You know, um, that's, that's a really good question. I think um, honestly, my my, my older brother Dwayne, um, I call him D. Well, everybody calls him D. D. D was like my superhero. Like I'll tell people, man, I, I modeled like I would steal D's clothes. Um, still being the operative word because he definitely wasn't giving me permission to rock his shit at all. Um, but it was it was him. Like I and it wasn't like D was doing anything to um, like try and teach me. You know what I'm saying? I don't like it's not like D was coming up to me like hey hey Joel let's have this conversation about the birds and the bees or da 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 da. I was just like I was just watching him. I think that's part of my work as an artist. And so like D was the perfect template for me. Like he was mad cool. He dressed cool. Girls liked him. Dudes liked him. Like, he wasn't super athletic, but he could play ball. Like, he played... Like, he was the cat that I, I, I modeled myself after. I remember um, I used to, like, record these little tape, like, radio, fake radio shows in, in, in our bedroom, um, put them on tape, and then, like, I would just listen back. Or uh, uh, Me and my friends, we'd have, like, these talk shows or whatever. And this girl that I was really digging just wasn't feeling me. And I got really mad, and I was like, on that tape, I remember I said something. I can't remember if I was saying it out loud and he caught me, or I was playing it back and he heard it. But I was like, duh, 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 duh. Oh, I can't stand that bitch. And like, D was like, if I ever hear you like use that word again, I'm gonna fuck you up. And then that was pretty much the end of that for me. Well, you know what I'm saying? I was, so seventh grade, I was what? 
12, 13, wow. maybe. It's a great lesson to learn at that age. Yeah, you know, and so like from that and then, and then from there, just kind of, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to grow up also in a community of a lot of, you know, young teen, young adult black males who were, who were doing things in the neighborhood that I felt like were cool. You know, and it, and it didn't follow the stereo, like stereotypical model of like, you know, hanging on the corner, selling, like doing whatever. It was just like they were going to work, and then they would go to work, but they also dress fly. And then you know, what I'm saying like they maybe they had a nice whip, but it's because like they they earned it through like going through a job. My man Biggs, Biggs put everybody on in the neighborhood. You know, what I'm saying, and oddly enough, like Biggs, um, Biggs is like a lieutenant right now, but like back in the day. Biggs worked, he worked retail, and he would just bring all the homies into the job. Like, you can work in the stock, you work a sales floor. Like, he was doing that for my brother, and Biggs was older than my brother. I got a job through Biggs. You know what I'm saying? Like, there were black men who were kind of showing me the way without necessarily doing it. You know what I'm saying? Very much, not. I mean, I, I think we're all gods in that way, but very much like a Jesus. Like, like Jesus is not prophesizing, per se, or proselytizing. He's walking. You know what I'm saying? And through that walk, then you, then you learn how to walk your, on your own. You know, and like that's what it kind of felt like. Yeah. And so, how lucky were you, really? Because if you think about what you just said, the common experience is the opposite. The common experience is that you got your dope boys on the corner, you've got your your your, your dudes that, for lack of opportunity, resort to selling drugs or what have you. But you weren't informed by that. You were informed by a, a much more positive influence. So now let's extrapolate that forward, right? And now you are the old OG on the block, like how are you paying that forward to young men? I think part of the work is is trying to take it a step further and having conversation, you know? Like, sometimes we try to look for ways, like you know, how can I go back into the community? Sometimes you just have to look around your household, like who, or your nuclear family, or even extended family, like who's in my circle, who's younger than me that I can school or hip to some game? You know, my nephew's a prime example of that. I remember years ago, my nephew and I, and I tell this story a lot, but we were on the train, and my like it was just really quiet. Like no one was saying anything. It was me, my nephew, my brother, his his father, and like he he said something, and it was like I could tell like he said it because he just felt like he needed to say something to break the silence. And I was like, Yo, why are you why are you talking right now? You know what I'm saying? Like why do you feel the need to say something? He was like, I don't know. It just felt awkward. It felt uncomfortable. And then the next day he texts me like, "Yo, uncle, how do you how do you become okay with being quiet?" And I remember hearing that and thinking to myself like, "That is far beyond what I was even thinking about when I was 15, 14." Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But part of that is creating the space and having the conversation. So, but then doing that also and just bringing that into classroom. So, anytime I have a, uh, an opportunity to speak to young black or brown folks, um, whether that be in high school, middle school, high schools. Um, I try to have really nuanced conversations about like gender, right, um, and like gender norms, and then also too when we talk when, when, when we bring in the uh, concept of race um, and sexism, uh, and and trying to tie all that back to art and creativity. You know, like how can I best utilize my talents to serve my community, and um, and then also bringing that bringing that onto social. You know, what I'm saying very much in the same same way and fashion that that that, that you do so well. Right, like just being able to communicate to people on different platforms, um, and recognizing that there's strength in the voice, especially in like a, a black male voice um, that we tend to not have seen in quite some time until until up until very recently, honestly. Yeah, 
Yeah. And, and that's a perfect segue because I want to get into your career, right? And kind mm. of what you've chosen as your path. Yeah. Uh, you are a writer. You're a copywriter, right? Like your your day to your your Bruce Wayne <laughs> is uh, you're a copywriter, yeah. but yeah. your Batman is that you're an author, you're a motivational speaker, you're an artist. Yeah. So I want to talk about that. Tell me how you got into that. What sparked that interest in you to be creative in that way with your words and with channeling your experience through your words? Um, so the first, I don't know if you are, I don't know if you remember like the group, The Boys. Absolutely. So The Boys crazy single was probably the first time harmony and melody registered to me. Like between The Boys and L. Cool J's Around the Way Girl, there was something about the hook and like how they had layered and structured and I didn't know any of the language but I was like oh yeah I really fuck with these records and so I would go I would go in my mom's room and I would just redraw the boys cover and recreate the song list and the track list with like my own songs and since I didn't know you know young you don't really know the words to songs so I would just start making them up and that's how I learned how to freestyle so I would just have the idea of what the song sounded like but then I would just rap the words or sing the words out loud and part of that was also my mom. My mom had two bed. We had a grew up in a two bedroom. My mom generally didn't sleep in that second bedroom. She she used to sleep on a couch. And so when she did that, I would just go in that room, and that gave me the space to explore. Like how some kids have a backyard. We you know I'm saying like, you know like mm-hmm. we didn't really grow up with that. Right. But that room was like my my my, my playground. Your escape. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. And so you know, and like I had a shit ton of imaginary friends. I had I I would create. Um, like movies, like there was Burn Rubber. There was like a whole series called Burn Rubber. I had a, a a band called Instrumental, which I still need to figure out how to do because I feel like that's just a dope name for a band. Right, right. But it was like a bunch of my imaginary friends who also happened to be my real friends in real life. But I just attributed them to the like, the imaginary world because there was also solace in having that comfort of being by myself because I feel like I grew up like an only child even though I had older siblings I was just was, about to say that what you're describing is like an only child experience yeah because my siblings were so much older than me you know like D my brother D is 8 years older than me my brother Kelvin is like what 13 years older than me so when I come home from school they're either out there working or whatever they're hanging out and so like for me it was like I had my G.I. Joes I got I got I have these stories how do I recreate them without looking like like a cornball because my other friends are not doing that they're not or maybe they are, but they're not saying it. They're like too cool, and I know how corny I am. So, <laughs> you know, and it started there, and then it just kind of came became a thing. I would just, you know, rap ciphers, poetry. I've been writing. I've been writing poems since I was like in first grade. My man Rasheen um, told me like recently, um, third. Like, he asked me if I remembered I would write poems for him to give to girls, and I was like, I don't remember that, but. You're you're welcome. You know what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> Thank me later. <laughs> you know what I mean. Like you know, right. you know, pat on my back. Um, but it was just there. Like Jason, I wish I had a a better explanation for like when and why. No, but that's how it know? is, and and I think that's the beauty of us. Those of us who are living in our purpose is that yeah. if you're if you're only in tune with your life and how it's unfolding and and just the mm. way you're showing up in the world, yeah. therein lies the purpose. Absolutely. Therein lies Absolutely. the passion. So only you only have to tune yourself into yeah. that. Yeah, um, so true. You, so true. Yeah, but you wrote a book, and <laughs> it's did. called "God Wears Do Rags Too." Yeah, tell me about one the title. Yeah, why that title? Yeah, but the inspiration behind the book. I mean, I wanted to. Okay, so long. Uh, long story short, I've been. I've been trying to avoid writing a book of affirmations. It, it felt, for me, it felt, if I hadn't been doing what I've been doing on Twitter, maybe, but it felt corny to me. It felt like I was 
make, I was going to make people pay for something that I was just giving away freely. You know what I'm saying? And also, too, it's like it felt like an easy way out. Like, I consider myself a writer and a poet. And, like, the stuff that I share on Twitter, those are just my thoughts. Like, I think it, I type it, you know, and, and people job with it. And that means a lot. But I didn't, I felt gross trying to sell it to people. And then Bernice King, right, Dr. King's daughter, had, she, she, tweet, she sent me a tweet like, you should turn your tweets into a book. and You listen to that. Yeah, I was like, yo, like, I can't like, be like, nah. Right, yeah, um, like, who am I? Like, yes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Be less. And that's the word. <laughs> so at that point, I was like, all right, let's just, let's just do it. I had already published a book through um, Bottle Cat Press, uh, independent publisher over in um, Portland, well, now in St. Louis. So I was like, well, listen, I'm just going to keep this really simple. Um, God Wears Do-Rags is something I had tweeted maybe, uh, maybe two years prior and not even realizing that someone had said something like when Solange wore her do-rag at the Met Gala, um, someone had actually said something similar, like my God is also wearing a do-rag or something like that. And I thought that was just kind of also serendipitous for the moment. I just wanted to make something that was black as fuck and affirming. Yeah. So it was like, I try to create from the space of the our language, you know what I'm saying? And like I like other people can try to tie it together and figure it out, but I wanted to create a book of things. Like if it's if I'm gonna make a book of affirmations, then it should be in my voice, and it should also be something that speaks to our community, yeah. you know, because we have enough of we have enough of things that we have to kind of fit ourselves into, you yeah. know. And that's what I, one of the things that I love about you and and kind of just the way we connected is how you're using social media Thank to you, to express those thoughts and those emotions and those vulnerabilities yeah. there's that word yeah yeah, uh, yeah and i think another thing that we share in common is that i don't know any other way but to be vulnerable absolutely absolutely um, so yeah, yeah and I, I just love how you use your platform to spread positivity same and this word love yeah love yeah. is my favorite word it is of course the, it is, is, a, course it is. right yeah, it makes sense it yeah it's such it it's such a powerful word i think yeah. it's a verb it's something you do absolutely um but I want to go back to what does love mean? What does the word love or how does love play a role in your life? Love is kinetic energy, man. You know, like it's it's constantly moving. It's fluid. Yes. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. So I'm going, I'm, I'm heading to uh, Laguna Beach next week to kind of help help some people walk like walk through their trauma using art using writing really and so the idea is truth through trauma right and like art as art for healing and also art for activism um i bring that up because ava duvernay like coincidentally enough ava duvernay is going to be leading a sundance talk like sundance collab talk about art as activism and you know it's easy for us to forget that like love is almost like the when we talk about movements and like revolutionary movements, whether it be Dr. King, whether it be the Panthers, like that's all actually funneled through love. Like, Absolutely. you know, Panthers, like it's, it's a love for community. You know what I'm saying? Like Dr. King, it's a love for humanity. You know what I'm saying? Like it's love is like the gateway drug, I think, to like how we how we kind of rise above all the other bullshit. And then like it encompasses the empathy, it encompasses communication, compassion. Um, and, and the more, and I think we have a tendency well, not you and I, but I think overall, we as a people have a tendency to like look at it through the romantic lens, yes. right? As yes. opposed to like the over overall all-encompassing lens of how do I show up in the world as a human being when I'm engaging with others and with the world in general. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, love is that. Right. You know? And we look at love in terms of it being this ethereal thing, right? this kind <laughs> yeah. of thing that you yeah. are either... 
uh, anointed with, right? If you're so lucky to meet someone, mm-hmm. right? Again, going back to what you yeah. said about it being uh, romanticized or or being embodied in a two foot mm-hmm. person yeah. with wings that's <laughs> walking around with a bow and arrow, right? Yeah. Like yeah. that's how we think about love. Yeah. And I think for me, love has has played a significant role in my life, man. Yeah. There's been times yeah. where it's brought me to my knees, mm. uh, but other yeah. times where I would say more often than not, it's given me the wings that I've needed to fly. Absolutely. Yeah, that's beautiful. Right? Yeah. And so yeah. I'm actually going to tweet that. Yeah, you said But yeah, I mean, I think it's just, that's the power of love and, and yeah. the way that we express it and we receive it. And I'm just so grateful that you, you're using your platform to spread that. Same, um, same, man, because we need more of that. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Uh, Want to get into a tweet that you mentioned, given that we're talking about love and uh, and tweets. I'm going to love you even when you don't... Wait, wait, let me say it again. <laughs> yeah. This tweet that you said that yeah. I love, I'm going to love you even when I don't like you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Was that yeah. like, were you at home and you're like, yo, I'm going through... You know this chick. I hate her right now. <laughs> but like, what what was the genesis of that? Because you said all your tweets and your thoughts and they your feelings. Are, so are. tell me about what 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 created that. I'm trying to remember what headspace I was in because it. Um, I might have been thinking about. I mean, I wasn't thinking about my um, about my lady for sure. Mm-hmm. But I think part of it was. I might have been honestly. I might have been thinking of a past situation because like sometimes, and I think, and I think that's important to acknowledge too. I think. We we like to uphold this like idea of I meet this person, this person is the one, and I don't have thoughts about past situations. And it's like I think that's dishonest because like I I'm born and raised in New York City, so there's memories attached to places Absolutely. and to people. Um, but it was me recognizing that if if we think about it, like when I when I get a creative brief as a copywriter, right? Part of it, like, when the client sends it in, there's, like, the overarching idea, and then there are things that fall underneath it. And I feel like love is the overarching idea, and then, like, the liking a person is, like, the under, like, underneath that. So, like, you can just do some shit that I don't like, and it's going to make me not like you in the moment. doesn't mean I don't love you. But, like, right now, presently in this space, it's hard for my heart to hold space in a way that's going to be conducive to, like, this overarching theme. It's still here, but I'm mad as fuck at you right now. And, like, honoring that. Like, yo, I don't like what's happening right now. Or I don't like what you said to me. Or I don't like the way you came at me. Or whatever. Or I don't like the way you you, you make broccoli. I don't know. But, like, being honest enough to... Loving a person enough to be honest with them in a way that's also loving. You said you tweeted something remotely similar where it's like, listen, I don't... Don't give me like the hard truth right. or tough whatever. Love. Tough love. Like right. get out of here with that, right. man. Like I don't need you like the world is tough enough as it is. Absolutely. I don't need you trying to like toughen me up. <laughs> right. Like I don't need thank you. Right. But no, I'm I'm good. I'm good. Right. Like show up in a way that's like you can be honest and be loving. And it might still hurt me, but I know right. that the intention behind it was love and not like it's you know, just, angst. Yeah, I I just think it's a, a healthy way to look at it, right? Absolutely. And I think, you know, we we Live in a society where, unfortunately, again, love is romanticized, and it's just like, you got you love me, so you've got to you got to kill yourself, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. and, and I don't say that lightly because but I yeah. know that suicide is a very real thing and, yeah. and epidemic. But it's to that degree where we put yeah. love and we we look at it through such a warped set of lenses mm-hmm. that I just think it takes on an, another form. Yeah. And I and I wonder what you just said and how that might apply to family, mm-hmm. right? When you look yeah. at family. And when you're looking at certain things or you're going through your life and you're looking, I wish people could see the look that Joel is giving me right now <laughs> Yo, because, because 
that's real. When yeah. you're when you're going through a process, whether it's a spiritual process or or one of realizing your own self worth, mm-hmm. you realize that even if you love the people that you love, sometimes those are family. Yeah. You got to let them go as well, right? Man. So it's just the concept that you just described. Tell me, if it, has that played a role in your life? I mean, I fortunately haven't had to let go of family, but what I will say is, I've created my own sense of family. You know, I don't show up at every family function. It's not because I don't love these people, but it's like. I made a decision some time ago that I was going to sit in spaces that felt like they lifted me. And again, not even to say that these family members don't lift me. I love my family. But it's also like, yo, if I'm a, if I'm going to take my daughter to the park, I'm going to take I'm, there are people who I want to be around and there's people who like push who who push the, the ideas that I want to surround my child and myself as well. And we get you get to choose your family. You know, blood is thick in the water. All right, that's cool, but if it's hurtful or harmful, you don't have to stay. And I think th- there's a way that, and I can't speak for other communities, but I know for us in the black community, it, it becomes a it becomes a point of contention because you're made to feel like you have to do things for people just because you are from the same ilk. Yeah. And it's like, if I can let go of friends who are doing things that are like not supportive of me or like are putting me in harm or my spirit in harm, then you best believe damn sure I can do that to family. You know what I'm saying? Like, especially even when we talk about, you know, it's a very sensitive topic. When we talk about, like, rape and molestation, how we, and essentially it's usually a person, percent, percentages will show us that it's a person closest in, like, family, community, whomever. Um, and that doesn't mean we stay away from family, but I, what, I, what it does mean for me is, like, I hold everyone under a microscope. Like, friends, family, school teachers, priests, I don't care. Like, you are, we are all governed by the same God and by the same universe. And so I want people who operate within that space and who, who share those values around me. And if you don't, then I, should, I can feel okay with having to walk away from that. Yeah. And as a father, that's increasingly important, right? Because you're raising your daughter. You want to make sure that you surround her with people that are... When, look, I'll say this. When I choose friends nowadays or when I choose people that I spend time with, I'm looking at them not just from for their value in terms of the friendship that we'll have, yeah. but are these people worthy enough for me to bring my future kids mm. or my kid now? Absolutely. Right, because it does take a tribe. It takes yeah. a village, as they say. Yeah. So are these people going to be the people that, I need, that are going to be around me, that I want around yeah. me and my children? Absolutely. Yeah, that's important. And, and you know, like my, my best friend, Ty, I met him interestingly enough through a podcast interview he had heard my he had heard a project that I dropped in like 2015 and he interviewed me for it and I remember when he came to the interview his daughter was there with him um, and she was asking him about like this fisheye lens that he might have lost and I was like A she knows what a fisheye lens is and that's pretty dope for like an 11 year old um, or like 12, I think she was at the time. But then also it was like, oh, and I didn't know I was having Lila at the time. But it was like, oh, this is a dude who's showing up in the world like as a father and as a black man. I fuck with that. I'm, I won't make this man my friend, which I did. You know, but it was part of, part of that was just like choosing a person that I felt like, yo, I would like, th- there's something I can potentially learn from this relationship, yeah. you know, and that feeds. Yeah. So like I said, you're a father. I want to know what have you learned about yourself through that experience? I'm not as patient as I thought I was. Um, and less really through Lila and more through her mom. You know what I'm saying? Like, she's a wonderful human being. Um, but we are very different people, you know? Um, very much so and in, in, in more than in any other way with any other person. And so a lot of that is me having to teach and relearn and, like, learn how to, like, show up in love for a person 
Um, and it's not always going to be right, you know what I'm saying? And it's not always going to be maybe in the way that is most con- like like speaks most to her. But I think we're finally in a space now where we just because we love each other, we also care about how the other person responds um, to whatever's happening. Um, so like I think parenthood. It's like because for me, I have a designation between parenthood and fatherhood because with um, parenthood for me is like the relationship with the parent. And then fatherhood is like fathering Lila. And like that has been, <laughs> I mean, outside of amazing, it's um, it's such, it's like, she's one, she's my greatest teacher by far. That's exactly know? what I was just, as you're yeah. speaking, I'm thinking about what is the biggest lesson that I've learned as a father to yeah. a teenage girl. Yeah. And, and that's exactly it. It's taught me how to come to myself in ways that nothing else can. Yeah, yeah, man, because it's like, and then, I mean, you know, I didn't, like my heart expanded. You know, I, I really figured, I thought I, I knew love in that way. And then she came and it was like, oh, okay, this is way more bigger than I was even imagining before. And I thought being in love with a person was like the the, the pinnacle. Right. And it's like, oh, no, 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 no. This is like way higher than that. Um, because it, it it's, again, it's expansive. So for me, it's just like watching how she interacts with the world. Like I think about, like I I say this sometimes, like, you know, we're, we're sitting at a table you know, and that's a word that we've been taught. It's a word that we've learned. Like, it's it's language. You know, if I told Lila when she was two that this was a rainbow, she would enter, she would go into the world thinking that this was a rainbow because that's what I taught her, you know? And so part of that is recognizing the responsibility I have. Like, she's shown me that. Like, it's the responsibility and an opportunity, you know what I'm saying? Like, to show her the world in, in a way that I think is, like, supportive of like her spirit and her dreams whatever those might become um and like that's what she thought like the openness to like question things because you know you like why daddy why daddy why daddy and for me it's almost like an exercise and uh it's definitely not an exercise in fertility but it's more an exercise in like practicality you know and like getting to the core essence of a thing so like if it like prime example her there's a picture of her grandfather um, kissing, kissing his, um, kissing his wife, and she's like, "Daddy, why are they kissing?" I'm like, "Cause they're in love." And she's like, "Why?" I don't have the answer to that right now. Like, why are they in love? Like, it's a very simple question that she's not really thinking about. But for me, it forces me to really be introspective about life in general, and that's yeah. because of her. Yeah. We hear a lot about women, single women, who are raising kids and co-parenting, mm-hmm. and we hear about the challenges. You know. They're not getting child support. The mm-hmm. the man is not showing up, etc. Yeah. Yeah. But we don't hear enough about the other side of that, right. where the man is present. He's doing what he's got to do, mm-hmm. and he's co-parenting. We don't hear enough about those challenges. I'm curious to hear about your challenges as a, a man who's showing up, who's present, yeah. um, who's with his daughter. Every other photo you see on Instagram, and it's not about Instagram, yeah, right? No, but it's yeah. about yeah. being there. Um, as someone who's there for his child and is, and I'm sure has struggled through some of the challenges that co-parenting brings, what have you learned? What lessons have you learned? What have you learned about yourself? And then how have you been able to figure out some sort of balance between your daughter's mother in order to do the right things for your daughter? Um, Man, that's a good question. I think there's a lot of layers. I'm going to try to condense it. um, No, just speak. (laughs) Speak. I I think uh, I've learned to not project biases. I think very recently, um, Lila's mother and I had a very profound conversation. And I was going, I had to, 
I had to kind of readjust my thinking because prior to the conversation, I had kind of been like, oh, man, this is going to be hard. I don't know how we're going to, like, she's it's going to be difficult, she, whatever, whatever. And it was com- the complete polar opposite of that. And it was me having to reconcile with myself how I had been viewing her, you know, and, like, based on, like, past experiences and issues or whatever and bringing that, and not on a daily basis, but, in like, in certain interactions because they were, certain interactions have been triggering in the past and I was still leading with that. Um, and being able to kind of just be honest, you know, I, I think there was a, I was doing a lot because I felt guilty, you know, at one point I felt Joke, like, man. yeah. And so I was listening to a, a, a Buddhist talk this morning and how like we have to be so mindful about the intention behind the thing. Like if we're doing it out of, out, like if we're doing it because of guilt, then it's going to prob- probably show up in that way. And you know we would get into these we would get into we have these conversations and we'd have these conflicts and I was and I realized now she was she would be mad at me because she could probably tell that I was doing a thing that I just felt guilty about that maybe I wasn't really doing it with love I was doing it because I felt like I had to do it um, which I also think is something that's problematic with our community at at, at, at large we tend to do things because we have like I'm, I'm gonna show up and I'm not gonna cry about things because that's what you're supposed to do as opposed to like what needs to happen in order to facilitate love in this in, in this in this space right now and so I remember one time I did like um, I I had um I like cleaned her space up or whatever and I felt like she was mad and ungrateful about it. like she didn't say thank you or nothing like that um and she's like I asked you to do it but you didn't have to say yes like you could have just said no and I was just like she's right like I don't I'm not I'm asking to do the thing you don't have to do it and then you're gonna be mad at me because you did the thing like that's your fault Joel. like that's not my fault and I'm like yeah you're you're right and like for me that's the thing like if I would if I'm being honest and like we I think as men we tend to think the honesty comes from like now nah, I wasn't hanging out I wasn't I wasn't hanging out with that girl last night or no nah, it's like about showing up with integrity and being like I don't like when this happens I don't being, like when being in your truth ex- being in your truth you know like and I think that's probably the over and cop like that's the thing I've learned the most yeah. from co-parenting is like just being your truth and I mean I I think it gets said a lot but really if the focus is on love and on the on the well being of the child it makes it a lot easier to honestly like eat shit. There's times when, like, I've had to put things on the... Like, I've said, parenthood has also taught, taught me to say no to a lot more things. I'm a lot more I'm a lot more um, discerning about what I say yes to because I have to maximize my time. There'd be times where I'd just be like, I'll do this podcast interview. I'm going to write this editorial, and I'm going to perform tomorrow, especially before Lila. And then, like, maybe two years in, it was just like, nope, nope. Like, A, am I getting bread? How much bread am I getting? And how much time is this taking away from my child? Can I bring my child? Is this going to affect the mom? Can a mom, like... It got to the point where I just avoided doing anything that was going to affect our schedule. And that was hard at the beginning, but then it was like, what I realized is I just got crafty. So I would write essays in the morning, or I would do shows that I knew by the time I put Lila to bed, I'd be able to head out. Like, it was me having to figure out, and it was more difficult, but I'm here. Like, I can either complain and be mad about it or find out, figure out a solution that's going to benefit everybody. Right, right. Um, What is your definition of a good man? (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> you see, man, this is the, I, I remember this question, too. You remember I that like, question? Yeah, and and the, I asked you that question because I know you answered it in such a profound way when we did the show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm curious to see how it's changed, if, <laughs> if it's changed. I mean, that's the thing. I, I think it's something I've been grappling with, too, when we talk about, like, what's right and what's wrong. Like, what is good? 
You know, like like how do we define yeah. good? And There's how do the reason we, I say good? And yeah. Not just what is your definition? Of man? man, yeah. You know, like uh, a good man, I think, is a man who's showing up in his truth. I think it's the same. Honestly, I think it's the same definition for a good woman. You know, like you're showing up in your truth. You're honoring yourself. Um, you honor your spirit. You know, and and you just honor the spaces that that you walk in. Um, and you also you're and you're intentional. You know, I, I think there's something about being a good man that that speaks to the overall human experience. Much like being, like, if I'm about my black community, I think that's really a way of also saying I'm for my entire community. Like, how am I showing up in the world? I think that's, for me, that's the core of it, I think. And where can they find you on social media? <laughs> um, at J-O-E-L-A-K-A-M-A-G. That's Twitter. That's Instagram. Um, Joel, a.k.a. Mag. Um, also, uh, my daughter may have dot com, which is like the website where you can see all the like video performances, download the music, purchase the books, Dope. you know, all that other good shit. And what's next? Um, well, right now, uh, Rockwood Musical, my man, uh, Arthur Lewis, also a father. Which, forgive me, I have not yet been able to make one of those. It's all good, brother. I mean, it's all good. But I know, the man, stars listen, will align. I know, but you are you are here running shit, man. You know what I'm saying, brother? I the love it. The stars will align. But um, Arthur, who's now he's he's gonna, who's going to be on Broadway with Lynn Manuel Ooh. with Freestyle Love Supreme Big in September. Team. You're next, brother. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're I mean, I, I accept that and receive that, brother. Thank you. you By know? the way, you know it's funny now that I look at you. You remind me of the dude that played. I just saw. Hamilton recently. Yeah. And you remind me of the dude that played George Washington. Is that David? I want to say, I don't know his name. I mean, David, uh, first of all, David is an amazing, I mean, yeah. I forget, but I, like either way, David is an amazing like artist, yeah. MC, actor, all that other good stuff. Um, but Arthur and I were going to be at Rockwood Music Hall um, in the Lower East Side doing our one piano, two voices, rapping, singing thing. Um, and I'm working on a one-man show, interestingly enough, as well. So... Um, working with a creative producer and a dramaturg to kind of flesh that out and hopefully start workshopping some stuff maybe towards the end of the year, top of 2020. Um, and another book project um, that I'm trying to keep close to vest until I feel like the stars have aligned with like publishing and stuff are concerned. But essentially like a multimedia music, video, book, photo project that I'm kind of excited about. But yeah, man, just trying to keep the... Trying to trying trying to keep the, the the burners on, man. You know, Bruh, So listen, all prayers up towards you, man, and you. Thank you. You sir. are on your way. So, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Joe L. Daniels, <laughs> aka Max. Thanks for being here with me, brother. Of course, me, brother. man, Jason. Thank you, man. Indeed. Appreciate it. Love you, man. Thank you.